Yo, what's up everyone? Evan Kidd here. I hope you're doing well. Welcome back to Convincing Creatives. This is season three and we're kicking things off right. Today we have an exciting interview with Rich Ragsdale. Rich is a fellow filmmaker, a director. He's done tons of things from feature films to music videos. He began his career actually though as a composer and he's worked on a lot of popular television sitcoms, shows such as The King of Queens, According to Jim, and Will and Grace. You may have heard of him. He also went on to score many other commercials, feature films, and video games. Um, and he also transitioned into directing and filmmaking in the early 2000s. He directed the feature film Ghost House, which opened theatrically across the world. And it also is now on Netflix, so you can check it out there. Additionally, Rich has done a ton of music videos, which is a fellow filmmaker who also does music videos. I'm very excited to talk to him about that. He's done music videos for folks such as Sean Lennon. Yes, Sean Lennon, son of John Lennon, Beatles, probably heard of him. Uh, and then also other folks such as Les Claypool, 311, Theory of a Dead Man, and Lenny Kravitz, just to name a few. So really excited for this conversation coming up. Again, talking to a fellow filmmaker is always uh, really exciting for me. I always love talking shop, uh, but also just getting down into the nitty gritty of like, how do you continue to be a filmmaker year after year? Like once you do a couple things, you get your technical stuff down but how do you keep the philosophical side going? How do you always have something to say? Rich has been doing this for many years, so I'm excited to really pick his brain about that because I think that's something that um, as filmmakers, we sometimes can you know hit roadblocks with in terms of our creative process, mental health, things like that. And um, I don't know, to me, that's a big reason of why I started this podcast was obviously to talk shop with creatives, filmmakers, whoever, artists of any kind, but especially to really understand why we do what we do and how do we convince ourselves to stay creative? So thanks for watching. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, it means a lot. Obviously, I'm a small podcast right now, but I hope to keep this thing growing. If you're listening on any platform, please do consider subscribing. We put all our video episodes on YouTube, convincingcreatives.com as well. And if you didn't know, like I mentioned last season, season two concluded roughly a year ago, and we spent the entire theme of that season talking to the cast and crew of my latest feature film, Panda Barrett. It is now streaming for free. Yep, free 99, free on Tubi TV. And you can also rent it on Amazon Video. Enough of my plugging. Let's get right into the Zoom call with Rich Ragsdale. Thanks for tuning in. I know you've been doing this for a little bit, so I'm definitely interested to pick your brain about yeah. like what works, what doesn't. Um, and just kind of how you stay motivated. Uh, but before we get into all the philosophical stuff, Rich, uh, let's talk about how you got into filmmaking. I know you had a little bit of a run uh, in the composing world before that. Could you kind of walk us through the uh, creative process, how you got started? Yeah, so I moved out to LA to be a composer. And actually, I had a composing career that was going, I think, well. You know, I was doing a lot of video games and a ton of television. Um, and my brother, uh, had started a production company with another fella and they were, they were off making movies. And in my spare time, I had started like, uh, you know, I was doing a lot of sitcoms. So I had my summers off at the time. That's kind of was the cycle. Right. They had a summer hiatus. And so, um, started studying photography and animation and stuff like that, just as a hobby. And I made this uh, short film that went on to win, a bunch of, it was just kind of a fluke, but it went on to win a bunch of awards and screened with, uh, and programs with like the brothers Quay and Guy Madden, who at the time were like big heroes of mine. And I was like, Oh, maybe I could do this. And so 
you know, I just, I jumped over to start, I left a lucrative career in composing to go to filmmaking. But, uh, I enjoy it so much. You know, it's been a, it's, it was a good move for me. Definitely. Um, do you still compose a little bit now? I'm assuming as well. Uh, although, you know, the film that I am finished, I have a film that will be done. We're, we're almost done. We'll, it'll be finished probably by the end of the month. And, uh, I did not compose the score for this one. It was kind of an interesting, um, an interesting process because I, uh, you know, I'd never worked with another composer in that capacity. But I, I had a really talented composer uh, who is a friend of mine, a, a girl named Sherry Chung, who is doing quite well right now. She, I think she's going to be a really big deal. But. Um, yeah, it was just this. This movie ended up being kind of a slog, and I just, I just didn't have the gas in the tank to also do that. Um, but you know, it was, it was cool. It, it, it's been, it, it, that was a cool process. But yeah, yeah, generally speaking, I score my own stuff. You know, to get back to the original question. But, yeah, uh, definitely. I think, I think it's interesting, like when you do kind of DIY stuff or just like, you know, lower budget, you're trying to start your own films. Like there's not always someone there providing, you know, that to you from the jump, you either have to find them or a lot of times, like you said before, you have to do it yourself. Um, you know, I'm a fellow filmmaker. I totally understand that. Like my last feature, I just ended up doing the cinematography in a similar way because we had someone we wanted to work with, but they weren't available. But then we had to do the film in a very small window of time. And then you get to that decision point where it's like, are we going to wait a year? Glad we didn't because it ended up being pandemic. And so it would have gotten, you know, kicked way down the road. But then, you know, a lot of times you do have to kind of make those calls. And, you know, sometimes, like you said, you, if you don't have the gas in the tank, it's easier to talk to someone and collaborate. Like, how do you, how do you make those calls? Because I think so often when we're, you know, creative, we do want to take a lot of things on. But it's also important to have that, like, mental health balance and that way to, uh, you know, really make sure what you are doing is 100% and not spreading yourself too thin. Yeah, well, I mean, it was it was actually a pretty easy call in that, like, like I said, I mean, the, the post on this thing took forever because yeah. of the pandemic and, and also just, you know, it's like low budget filmmaking and stuff. And it's like, yeah. time is the one that doesn't really cost you, <laughs> yeah. except for the producers. Uh, yeah. So uh, they're probably all real mad at me right now. <laughs> uh, but, you know, we wanted to deliver the best movie we could, so we worked on it uh and and also you know it's like like i said i've you know i've traditionally done a lot of music but because it's not my main focus i haven't sort of like kept my system and everything up and running and it would have taken me a little while to kind of yeah get back into fighting shape you know right so uh i called a buddy of mine who i went to college with who's uh, a really um successful uh music editor and asked him for recommendations and mm. his girlfriend is uh, sherry and she is just you know blown up she's doing really well and he's like oh sherry will probably do it and i was like i want it's kind of low budget but uh <laughs> she did a killer job i mean honestly probably better than i could have done so uh i i feel uh really lucky i, I think it was a really interesting collaboration so right so do you have a preference between, you know, I'm, I know now you're focusing more on filmmaking, but like, I know the processes are obviously very different, but do you have a preference between composition and filmmaking? Anything you're able to bring 
to filmmaking once you kind of made that transition a couple years back? Well, I don't know. I mean, you know, it's funny you say that because I don't, I don't really feel like it's a, it's, it's terribly different. I mean, first of all, technology that we use to like make music is very similar to the technology we use to uh, edit, you know? So Mm -hmm. it's like, if you're working in principles or logic, it's all sort of nonlinear and you you shift things around and you put layers and, you know, filters and the whole thing. Uh, And so, you know, in LEs like Premiere or Final Cut or Avid or whatever, they, they work the same way. And so on a technical level, it wasn't a hard shift to go from one thing to the other. Uh, and it's just like, it's kind of all creativity, right? I mean, so right. it's like kind of accessing the same parts of your brain. Yeah. Think, you know. Yeah. 100%. No, 100%. Oh, I think it's a different discipline, but at the same time, it's, it, it's not, right. it, it's not, uh, it, it's not like, you know, a universal part. Right. You're in a similar ballpark. You're just sort of on opposite ends sometimes. And yeah, I I noticed the like the music to film pipeline is kind of uh, interesting. I've seen that a couple times with people I've met over the years at like festivals and stuff. Like uh, I originally was like a drummer in high school. That's like the thing I want to do is like join a rock band. And then, you know, obviously that's easier said than done. I mean, I don't know that being a filmmaker is any easier, but, you know, it's that type of thing. And, uh, you know, it's that creative ballpark where I was like, oh, you know, I was recording these little crappy demos and it was the nonlinear editing from audio that I took into doing like video and early YouTube. And then that kind of snowballed into what I do now. And and I think that's interesting because like I, I find so often that like the creative people, they, they, they do find ways to pivot. And like it's interesting, you know, you talking about going from composition to filmmaking like I, I have seen that multiple times. I almost wonder why that is sometimes. Cause I think there's that inner need to stay creative. Like, well, I know that there used to be a joke about how like all uh, rock stars want to be actors and all that. Yeah. <laughs> I think I've heard that. Yeah. Uh, I think it's, that's a, maybe a slightly different pathology, but, mm. uh, but I, I don't know. I mean, you know, I will say, I mean, the one, the big difference is that music is a much more sort of abstract yeah. uh, form, you know, yeah. Uh, or discipline and and so uh and i think that was my earth with with even like my earliest short films and stuff like i was talking about they were all very kind of arty and experimental and sort of expressionist and strange and not specifically like narrative right uh, at least in any sort of uh like sort of commercial way you know there, there might be like an idea or a story in there that uh um you know, it's kind of like with music. I mean, you're sort of, sort of telling an emotional story as opposed to like, unless it's a song with lyrics, you know? And so that's kind of how I initially, I think, approached filmmaking, but, and I learned on the job. I mean, it was, it's kind of yeah. like going to film school in public. It's, it's, you know, you, all your embarrassments, all your student films that like, you know, you wouldn't want people to see are like all out there. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's funny how that works. Like, you know, I think a lot of times people ask artists, like, do you watch your stuff? And like, no one does, because it's like, at the end of the day, it's like, you know, that's a, a, a realm that you were in at a certain time, maybe your film that you made in 2000, whatever, you know, that's a representation of where you were at then. There's nothing wrong with it. It's just, you grow and you change. And like, I think that's what's interesting about every artist, whether it's, you know, film or not. 
Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm fascinated by that growth. And I, and I think that's really interesting. Um, speaking of music, I want to pivot real quick into like instrumentation. I don't know a ton about stuff, but I've, you know, watched a couple of your past interviews to prep for this and you seem to have used a bunch of really interesting instruments over the years. Uh, do you have any favorites? Do you have any, uh, kind of quirky ones you're just falling in love with as of recently? Well, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm a bit, even though I use technology yeah. every I do. I'm a, I'm at heart, I'm a, like a Luddite, you know, and so it's like I like like lo-fi kind totally. of, um, you know, analog or right. acoustic sort of instruments. And so, um, you know, I historically I've collected a lot of that stuff. So it, it just depends. I, I don't know if I have anything uh, that is uh, a favorite instrument. I mean, I, I own a Mellotron, which is like a classic, mm -hmm. like... 70s 60s kind of uh it's like before they had samplers it was all tape based and you would play the keys each key as a tape right you know and so you hear it on like a lot of Beatles songs and pink floyd and a lot of prog rock stuff from the 70s and and uh it's it's got its own sort of sound and so i, I i've always loved that i used to use it on everything even if it was appropriate or not you know i just uh would try to but you know i you know, I, and, and I still, I, you know, I like weird music. I like weird stuff, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's fun. It's fun to find the, the things that are, you know, maybe in a subgenre or niche and kind of bring it into a, you know, film or a score that would be seen by a lot more people who maybe never would experience that sound otherwise, you know, if they weren't watching a film that, you know, isn't that like, I, I think recently uh, I've been so interested in like hand pans and tongue drums. Like I discovered that, over like the quarantine and I bought this little uh, tongue drum just to play here and there. And, you know, it's got such a weird sound and they've got so many different scales of it. And like, that's the type of thing I'm like, Hmm, can I incorporate this into a film at some point? And, it, and again, it's like, I don't really even do composition, but it's just fun to, you know, hear these different sounds and see how they apply not only to the music, but when you pair it with video, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And so I always find that fascinating. Um, and then speaking of pairing music with video, let's talk about your uh, music video career. Cause you've done quite a couple music videos. Um, I mentioned it in the little intro I recorded before we chatted, uh, but you've done stuff for all kinds of bands, 311, Sean Lennon, stuff like that. Can you talk a little bit about, uh, you know, how you got to work with some of those folks and bigger names? Did you start, uh, with like indie bands and kind of work your way up or how did that all fall into place? Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, I started, you know, with like local LA bands. Yeah. Uh, a couple of them, a couple of the videos did fairly well. I remember uh, I ended up getting well, my first sort of commercial gig with like a label was I, I did these music videos for this uh, Japanese heavy metal band called uh, Pay Money to My Pain. And after that, I, I guess that's, I got, I got, I started working at a uh, music video production company i got i got hired there to be one of the sort of directors in the stable and that's when i got you know i did videos for like lenny kravitz and yeah. and uh uh sean lynn and that's uh, it in his girlfriend charlotte they had a band called ghost of a saber-toothed tiger it's actually one of my more favorite music videos um yeah, that one's really trippy. I watched that one this morning. <laughs> Very like kind of Kenneth Anger. Yeah. You know, kind of 60s. I love all that like psychedelic stuff too. So, you yeah. Know. Um, and then I kind of, I, I left that company and then, you know, now we, we, we do it through our own company. But uh, yeah, I, I just finished up. We did two videos this year so far for um, 
Adrian Smith, who's a guitar player from Iron Maiden, mm-hmm. um, and, a, and Richie Kotzen is his partner, is another sort of heavy metal guitar player guy. Cool. So those were a lot of fun. Um, and I'm up, you know, I actually haven't been doing too many music videos lately because I've been working on this film. Right. But, you know, we're at the end, so I'm starting to write for more yeah. videos and stuff. So hopefully there'll be a couple more coming down the pike. Sweet. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting. Like, that's one of the reasons I was excited to chat with you, because I also do like films, but music videos on the side. And I, I find a lot of times people do one or the other. And I know that some people do both. But uh, how do you balance doing both? Because I know they're very different. But at the same time, it's all film. Uh, it's all just how you're expressing things visually. Like, you know, I find sometimes with music videos, you can do it the way that's like the easy way where you just kind of, you know, you, you check the boxes and it, it comes together and there's nothing wrong with that but how do you how do you kind of push yourself uh sometimes to do things a little differently like the the sean lennon video was a good example i think of a little bit different style well you know sometimes it, i mean like look a lot of it depends on the artist because it's yeah. like there are some artists uh who will let you just kind of go for it and, right. and some artists are very like concerned not only conservative but they're commercial artists they don't yeah. want, you know you know, like, look, my ratio of the number of videos I write on versus the number I get is, is a very lopsided number, you know, because a lot of times I'll write something that I think is really cool and sort of uh, creative. And, you know, because you always get the briefs and they're like, oh, just whatever mm-hmm. you want, be creative. And, you know, then you see the video that gets picked and the one that gets made and you're just like, yeah, completely generic. Yeah. So you know, it's just like with Sean, I was just like, uh, I'd actually done some work with Kenneth Anger, a friend of mine manages him. And I was really into Ken's work and stuff. And so this thing came in and it sounded very sixties. And I was just like, yeah, you know what? Fuck it. I'm just gonna, I'm, I'm yeah. gonna let's go super psychedelic, you know, yeah. Curtis Harrington, you know, Kenneth Anger, you know, less electric Kool-Aid acid test kind of stuff, but mixed in with this kind of, uh, that source family documentary had come out and Sean was really into it. He thought it was really cool. So I was like, well, we'll make you like father Yog and you know, we'll yeah. have all these crazy. And I just kind of threw everything in there, like UFOs and masks. And, you know, uh, we, we actually filmed on a real hippie commune up in mm-hmm. Alton and stuff. So it was just like, you know, he just kind of like let me go for it. And we shot it on 35 millimeter. Uh, he'd actually asked if we would shoot it on 16. And I was like, let's shoot two perf 35. I had just seen a film that had been done in two perf. And I, it's, you know, you get to, you know, you uh, maximize the amount of right. footage to film ratio that way. Right. And we, but we pushed it to stop. So it would be ultra grainy, like uh, old 16. Yeah, the texture on that video, it was great. I loved it. Yeah, it was a lot of fun, man. And I've done some other work for Sean and for his girlfriend, Charlotte, who is a real, she's a real great artist. I mean, she's really, she's actually directing most of her music videos herself now. And they're, cool. they're quite good. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm lucky to have hooked up with those guys. Yeah, I've actually noticed a lot of artists lately seem to be getting more into the direction of their work. And I think a lot of artists, especially younger ones, are, are trying to like really create like brand aesthetic and, you know, say who they are through their videos. And, you know, I don't think it's like replacing, you no. know, the music video director, but I think it's an interesting step. Like I've started noticing a little bit recently. Um, where do you see like music videos and like the industry going and like, uh, 
kind of like breaking in and doing new things. And because uh, I, I feel like it's, you know, there was such a weird period where it started out, you know, obviously in the 80s and 90s. So on TV and now it's just pure Internet. And like, you know, sometimes uh, music videos are just there for like crazy shock value a lot of times for bigger labels and just to get buzz like. Well, you know, it is kind of interesting because the music industry is just, I mean, undergone. Catastrophic, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, and so it's like. You know, when I was a kid, yeah, it was MTV. It was like, that was where you found a lot of these artists. And so I was like, you know, you like discovered whoever, Nirvana or whatever. Yeah. They, videos would come on and you'd be like, oh, this is super cool. And yeah. you kind of wait for the video to come back on. And then, you know, YouTube comes around and then there's been the whole streaming thing with music and stuff. And it, it, it definitely has killed a lot of the budgets. But at the same time, music videos are almost, I think, more essential now than they were then because if there's because the technology makes it easier to make your own music you yeah know, for artists to produce their own albums you could do the whole thing yourself whereas like say in the 90s it would be very difficult to do something like that um yeah so uh you know to stand out you need something you know you can't just release a record anymore i think uh, i mean if you want to survive and you know like live in the mainstream you know uh, especially, you know, so, you know, the labels are still there. They're still, I mean, the, the, the big problem is now is there's like this whole sort of like the bulk of the music videos are very, very low budget, you know? Right. And for a guy like me, it's, it's kind of problematic because, um, you know, there are a lot of younger guys that will just do a music video basically for free to make their bones and stuff. Yeah. And so, you're, you know, they're taking the, uh, you know, the profit motive out of yeah <laughs> of course oh yeah <laughs> uh, and then there's the, the the handful of like you know lady gaga's or whatever yeah whoever the artist de jure is that is like it's probably a dated reference but like you know the the big artists that have you know still have a lot of money that behind them that will yeah videos but there's you know there's only a handful of those videos and there's so many directors it's very very oh hard yeah and those um so, you know, uh, like I said, I mean, they're not going away and, and they're definitely a great place to try new things, you know, right. you know, especially if you have a relationship with the artist and they trust you, you can be like, well, let me, I get this like new trick I want to try with the camera, you know? And so it's like, um, I, I think that it's, it's a great place to kind of do something that'll be seen by people, but yeah. is also, uh, a place to play you know i was gonna say it's it's a music videos can be a, a really cool sandbox for for us filmmakers to really play in if we're given the uh the means to do so and, and it's an interesting medium because uh you know i find a lot of times like that and commercial stuff is really how i make a living but also the music videos can be one of two ways. Like I've done a lot of hip hop videos and I've done, you know, a lot of underground rock videos and stuff where, you know, like you said, I, I basically am doing it for free, especially when I was, you know, getting started just cause you're just trying to build a portfolio. Uh, but then there's other times where like I tell people all the time, just cause I did one music video with a label, it doesn't really mean that's a given. And then the next music video I'll do will be like a two person crew. <laughs> and so it's like, it, it very much goes like this and it's not just a straight, you know, line oh, yeah. up. Yeah. Well, and you know, it, it's kind of interesting because it's like, there was a period there where I was kind of on fire with the music videos. I was just getting a yeah. lot of 
and like a lot of repeat business, you know, like I did like three in a row for like theory of a dead man. And so yeah. it was just like, uh, you know, and then we went off and did uh, that movie ghost house, which we shot in Thailand. Yeah. It was a really uh, tough shoot. And it was, I mean, it was, a, it was the most fun I ever had in my life, but it was incredibly hard. Yeah. And then we came back and then the editorial process was very slow on it. Uh, again, it was just sort of a resource thing. Right. Uh, but, you know, so it kind of took me out of that game for a couple of years, really. And it's like, once you've been gone for a couple of months, it's just like, you're, you know, it's like you basically have to start over, you know. So, you know, it, to me, it was worth it because I wanted to make a movie, you know. And it was kind of like you were saying, I mean, there's a lot of directors who are really great music video directors and people kind of wait around for them to make this leap into features and stuff. And I think a lot of them get real gun shy because, yeah, you know, there's a lot of expectation. It's been very, it's very rare that like one of these kind of super hot music video guys ends up making a movie that is really successful. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. David Fincher would be a, a great example of someone who did. I mean, you know, he, in Ridley Scott started in commercials and stuff, but you know, they're remarkable talents. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, so, but I can think of, uh, you know, quite a few music video directors, even ones that I was really like, that I love, whose feature work has not lived up to their, you know, music video commercial work, you know? So, right. Absolutely. Yeah. It, it's interesting. Uh, I want to pivot a little and talk about uh, indie filmmaking, actually, now that you mentioned, you know, your films. Um, you know, I find, you know, there is a way to do things in music videos and there's a slightly different way to do things in indie features. Um, how do you get your indie features off the ground? Uh, and, you know, I've also seen a couple of your shorts as well, um, that you do between, and I think that's important too, because, uh, when I first, so I made my first feature, uh, right out of film school at 22, I didn't know what I was doing. I was just, you know, firing and hoping things would take off and blah, blah, blah making it with a couple friends and you know it was totally uh, amateur but it was you know it was a learning experience and I remember at the time thinking I don't know that I'll make shorts again now that I've made a feature and and I think that's like so silly because it's like I've made many shorts since then and a lot of times I find people get so caught up on the idea of feature and that's great and that's important but uh, a lot of times it's like some ideas don't really need to be more than five minutes that's all they need to be and, and and like how do you parse that down and I, and I think some of it just comes with experience but like how do you decide which ideas are worth pursuing into that territory uh you know it's interesting i mean you know so we made like a, a good case study for us was was ghost house and that like you know my brother his wife is thai and they had a i'll try to keep this short but they had a child and they wanted yeah. to take the, the his son to uh, Thailand to meet the rest of the th his wife's family over there. And my girlfriend and I went along and we, uh, she had real bad jet lag. So I took her out for a walk. We were kind of staying out near the jungle and we came across this place where they have all the old spirit houses and people had just thrown them away. It was like this graveyard of old spirit houses and we're like taking pictures and, yeah. them. and I'm just like, this is like that dumb white guy thing that happened in horror movies, <laughs> right? So we got back and we were like, oh, you know what? We were just kind of joking like that would make a, a good idea for a film. Mm -hmm. So we kind of reverse engineered a film based on that. Is That was the sort of, that being kind of the inciting incident of a movie, you know? Right. Um, now, sometimes you just have an idea, you think it's cool and uh, you don't know if it would work as a feature or not. 
you know, I, I, I mean, I see a lot of features where I'm like, man, this would have made a great short, you know, right. <laughs> uh, right. Uh, you know, uh, so, you know, it's a place to, you know, for me, like doing shorts is fun because, you know, you're in and out, it's a lot quicker. Uh, and you can, maybe you're usually when we make a short, I'm trying a new, a new thing, you know? Yeah. And also I've, I've begun writing more. So shorts is a good place to sort of work on, you know, building your chops in that regard too. Um, yeah. so I don't know if that answers your question. No, hundred percent. No, it, it absolutely does. And I think, uh, what you said about shorts sort of being a, uh, like playground or an experimenting place to try a new style, even new genres, like, you know, there's genres I've never directed that, you know, maybe I would want to start with a short to just see what it, what it feels like. What's the flavor, you know? Sure. That's a good way to put it. Um, so I know you've done a lot of horror and I'm definitely very curious to chat with you about that. Um, what is it about horror, uh, for film, you know, obviously music video, that's very different, but with you, what has gravitated you to that place? Well, like, you know, as a little kid, I was always into horror movies, you know, I like yeah. movies and I, I just, and I've always had this kind of cheeky, dark sort of sensibility and a very dark sense of humor. Uh, but you know, on the other thing about horror films and you could maybe lump science fiction in with this too, yeah. you know, is that like, you can, a, you can tell stories that are, kind of more subversive that way not even that our films have been subversive but you know but you can hide messages and and, and horror and people will just accept it and it'll yeah. go out to a larger audience like david cronenberg talks about that you know it's like the, the movie the fly is being sort of a metaphor for aids you know it'd mm. be like if i came to the studio and was like i want to make this movie about a scientist who gets a debilitating illness and he's dying and his girlfriend uh, euthanizes him at the end of the film uh, they would, he's like, they would just kick me out across Hollywood Boulevard and just, but if I come in and I say, I want to make a movie about a guy turning into a fly, they're like, Oh, tell me more. You yeah. Know? Uh, yeah. But also, you know, for me, it's, it's, it's also a stylistic thing. I mean, you can do so much more stylistically and people will just accept it. I mean, you can yes. very, like if you're watching a drama and all of a sudden the walls are melting and, you know, hands are reaching through and, you know, it's just like people be like, what the fuck is this? You know? Right. Whereas like uh, in a horror film, they're just like, Ooh, that's creepy. You know, it, it comes with the territory. Yeah. yeah. I, I love that too, because uh, you know, again, I'm still always thinking, you know, anytime I make one film, it's like, that's great. I have no clue how I'm going to do that again, get the money together, do that. You know, that's the cycle of the beast. But what I love about horror is, you know, there's all these ideas, you know, take sci-fi uh, as, as indie filmmakers. A lot of times it's very difficult to do sci-fi because a lot of times it requires effects and budget and yada, yada, yada. Uh, and that can certainly be the case with horror. But I find a lot of times horror is so accessible to indie. And that's what I've loved about it is I've seen some crazy cool horror movies coming off of like thousand dollar budgets and things that people are doing for just no money. Um, and I, and I love that cause it, I think it really like democratizes film in a way that a lot of other genres don't. A hundred percent. You know, that, that's the other thing is like horror is actually one of those genres where it's actually, sometimes it, it actually, it, it sort of helps the movie. Yeah. It's sort of a little like threadbare, you know? Yes. It's like, you, you know, a lot of times studios will kind of put out these like big sort of exorcism movies with like Anthony Hopkins or, you know, some great actor and all the, right. you know, just, and it's just like, it, 
you know, occasionally they're good, but most most of the time you go and you watch them and you're like, ah, oh, that was just so sterile. You know, it's like, yep. uh, so I do think that there is something to that, you know, that, uh, you know, there's something a little more immediate to uh, horror. That yes. A little, uh, like a, actually like kind of a big budget and stuff kind of gets in the way where science fiction is kind of the opposite, like you said. Right. There's a handful of like really great, ultra low budget science fiction films but not very many you know they're a little few and far between and and I, and I do agree with you there i think it's interesting with uh the horror stuff because at the end of the day you think back to you know what are people making with no money and, and like you know I, like you said those big budgets can get in the way because i think you know there's that standard oh it's a possession or it's a this or it's a that and they kind of just run with that like hollywood does because they know it works but then some of my favorite horror movies i've seen have either been like not so weirdly scary just like unsettling and they're they're slow burns and they stay with me for days after and you know they're not full of jump scares it's just very like in your head psychological or it's total schlock and it's just total you know take it for what it is, uh, you know, it, it goes so over the top that it's its its own thing, and then that's great too. Like, I, I, it's one or the other. Like, I find those extremes are interesting. Well, yeah, I and mean, it's like, I mean, it's not that there haven't been like good. Oh yeah, horror films. I mean, like, you know, probably one of my favorite horror films is The Thing. You know, mm -hmm. John yep, The Thing, and uh, you know, it was a studio film, but it bombed. You know, when it came out, right. You know, nobody wanted that movie at the time. But it, again, also horror fans are very—it's uh, almost kind of like people who are punk fans or heavy metal fans. I mean, they're very loyal. You know? Very loyal. And, and sometimes I do find that it's that like uh, that underground like audience that just will love something and they'll tell their grandma and like you know, like they 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 will evangelize whatever it is you're. Yeah making even if it's only like a community of 200 people like they, they will be your biggest uh fans of whatever the yeah. horror thing is well, i mean yeah and you see it i mean you look at a movie like halloween that that was a, yeah for its time a very low budget movie i think it was a three hundred thousand dollar budget 1977 something like that 78 and uh you know it made so many bad halloween movies subsequently but every you know people have just they they love that original movie so much that it just is keep watching it you know 100 percent. and there's been some good ones too some good spin-offs too but uh but you know probably the ratio of good halloween movies to bad halloween movies is <laughs> yeah they've they've made them one or two yeah. <laughs> at this point yeah i say that if somebody asked me to direct a halloween movie i'd be all over oh a hundred percent i i joke all the time i'm like my favorite type of movies like i have a very soft spot for drama but lately I've gotten so into like surrealism. Um, I don't know if you've seen the TV show Atlanta on oh, FX. I love, love Atlanta. Like that's the type of stuff I want to do where it's like, it seems real, but then, the, then, you know, there'll be invisible cars and they'll just be like the Teddy Perkins episode, stuff like that. Like where it's, you think it's one thing, but it's really not. And you don't know what it could be in the next episode. Like a Teddy Perkins episode was a better horror movie than most horror movies. Yes. I mean, it was, it was so good. Yeah, uh, you know, it, uh, that show is, is great. And, you know, that kind of magical realism, I really like. Uh, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm with you 100% on that. And again, that's sort of, you know, like horror is a very uh, immediate sort of 
delivery mechanism for some of those kind of images and stuff. Cause like, even like, say like in ghost house, it's like when we shot the film, it was very, very low budget, way, you know, extremely ambitious for what it was. Uh, and we kind of got back here, we were cutting it together and, you know, our ending just felt so small, you know, we had, you know, we, we tried to use Thailand as much as possible, just like, you know, we shot anamorphic and used, you know, we'd go out in the jungle and out on these lakes and on these boats and just all sorts of, you know, stuff that would make our movie look way beyond its budget. Uh, but the ending felt like kind of um, small, you know, and I was like, well, we're promising something that we're not delivering. So, you know, again, the DIY thing, I went off in my garage and I just built these little things and was shooting like almost like, you know, like fluids and fire and like little strange things and then kind of cut it all together in these animations so that we had this kind of like very weird sort of surreal moment in the middle of this sort of exorcism scene at the end of the film. And for me, at least, it, it made a huge difference because it, it, it makes the ending feel much bigger, even though the actual narrative parts of it didn't change. But yeah. Some... Kind of... Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, oh, no, no. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, it's, yeah, because I, I had this idea is like, well, you know, one thing you've never seen in a movie is like in an exorcism is like to go inside the person. So that was kind of, it was, you know, again, it was sort of an abstract concept, but, you know, it's like biology and blood and fire and the ghost and all of this kind of stuff. But, uh, I mean, I love a good surreal thing. I mean, like Atlanta or I mean, now I haven't seen that film, but now just based on that, I'd like to check it out because I, I love when things can just boil down to more than what you're just seeing play out in the room or the scene and you're really getting you know even if it's just a surreal or a metaphorical wall break or what you know whatever it may be when you're really just kind of going down another uh meta layer if you will into the thing i always find that so interesting um and and that's on netflix right it was on netflix okay. and it's on amazon amazon uh, okay yeah everyone go watch it it's on amazon watch it, yes yes yeah. Um, I, I, again, I find that fascinating. Like the, the last feature I did, it's called Panda Barrett and it's about a rapper who's grieving, uh, his girlfriend. And then he is, you know, hallucinating basically this panda that follows him around everywhere and no one else can see it. And it's just like a crappy mascot costume that looks like it's falling apart. Uh, and then we just have so much fun with that and these little scenes and breakdowns and, uh, you know, is he losing his mind? Is it actually there? You know, all that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, like that's the type of thing I want to see more of like, and, and I think it's the Atlanta breaking into the mainstream and, and I hope it does push people because, you know, I, I love a good drama and there's actually a lot of like, uh, like Linklatery philosophizing in that movie, but it's just wrapped in this layer of weird surrealism. Uh, and you know, again, it just, it just, I think allows you to do a little more and I'm not, I'm not knocking dramas. I, I love a good drama. But, you know, it's just sometimes if you sit in a room with two people and they're just talking and talking and talking, there's nothing wrong with that. But, you know, it just allows you to do a little bit more. So, well, and I think that, you know, like the other thing from a sort of financial point of view, uh, drama is a very hard thing to sell. I mean, yeah. it's, it's um, you know, most, I think, distributors, if, if it's a drama, they want big stars and they want a little bit of production value, you know. Right. And, and the, you know, I mean, there's, there are uh, exceptions of, to everything, of course, but I think as a, you know, like, whereas like a horror film, it's kind of like, oh, what's it look like? You know, it, does it have this, 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 and this? Okay, cool. We'll take it, you know? Yeah. Uh, so, 
you know, yeah, I mean, drama is a tough, I mean, but there's, and then, you know, it sounds like the way you're talking, I mean, that, that's very much kind of my vibe too. I, I like yeah. those kind of things. Did you see the movie, uh, Sorry to Bother You? Yes, I oh, love that one. Yeah, because that had Lakeith Stanfield in it from Atlanta. Yeah. I mean, genius, man. Yeah. I mean, Total, uh, I mean, you know, not to spoil it, but there's a very big twist in the movie. If y'all haven't seen it listening, uh, you should, you should watch it. It's, you're not going to see it coming. I, at least I didn't. Yeah. Strange, very funny movie. It actually reminds me a lot of like movies from the seventies. Yes. Kind Mm -hmm. of like that, you know, that sort of new generation of filmmakers and there just was like less interest in, in sort of strict genre boundaries and stuff so it was just like you could do a lot of weird shit back then yeah yeah that movie was great because i think it it really snuck into the uh zeitgeist as like a mainstream movie at least through the trailers and then when people got in the theater i remember i watched it and like there were people just totally not sure what they were watching halfway through and i was just sitting there just like eating it up i loved it Like, like it was so fun to watch in a packed movie theater yeah, and it's it's the kind of movie that I think if it had been released in the '70s, now it would be just this like huge cult movie, you know. Just Absolutely. Like people be quoting it, and it was, just, uh, you know, yeah. I don't know. I you know I don't know how that movie will age, but I thought it was great. I hope that it has a you know long life, you know. Yeah. Well, and, and I like that you're thinking about movies that way, because I, I mean, I guess it's the nature of being filmmakers, what we do. But, you know, a lot of times I'll watch a movie and uh, sometimes I will either have a big reaction or won't love it or hate it. But I wonder, like, how it's going to be perceived 10, 20, 30 years from now. Um, and, and a lot of times I think about that, like, you know, for the 70s, it was almost a little bit easier because filmmaking was not anywhere near as democratized as it is now, um, you know, because for better or worse, like anyone can really make a movie now doesn't mean it's going to be good but there's just so much more um you know just more volume to wade through these days and and so sometimes i wonder like are there all these filmmakers that maybe made something five ten years ago and we still haven't heard of it and like will we discover it will that be sub categorized into these genres like uh how do do you think about these things these are just the weird thoughts i have a lot of times no no no, totally yeah I i do think that i mean there's no way to tell in the in the now yeah. like what is going to last because a lot of the movies that you know you look at the oscars and it's like movies you go back through the oscars and you know whatever movie won in 1959 you probably don't you've never even heard of but there are all these movies from 1959 or you know that were great that were kind of ignored because they were b movies or something and they they've lasted they you know uh so you know it's hard to tell or you know there's also like there's just no distribution vehicle for these things. Like, um, I don't, I don't know if you've seen any films from the Czech new wave from like the late sixties, mm-hmm. but like daisies or, yeah. uh, you, you know, and those films are amazing. I remember like they used to be really hard to find, uh, um, Valerie in a week of wonders, a film I just, I adore, man. I love that movie so much. And, but you just couldn't find it anywhere. It was really hard to find. And, you know, now you have these companies like Criterion or, you know, maybe they'll pop up on streaming somewhere. And I, I think at least among sort of cinephiles, there's a, a, a really uh, a much greater awareness of like the Czech New Wave. But because of the communists and stuff, they, they couldn't get them out. At the time, right. You know? Yeah. Uh, and you, and the archival may not have been as thought, you know, thought of then as it is now. And for sure, things are destroyed. Tapes are, you know, 
yeah, exactly. lost. Yeah. 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 So, but you know, but I, so I, you know, the point is that I think these things have this, I mean, their second life is actually greater than their first life for a movie like say Valerie, you know, week of wonders, you know? Yeah. Um, now, I mean, it's still a relatively obscure movie in terms of the mainstream, but it, you know, I, I, it's hard to like it in, in the early 2000s. I don't think you would think of that movie as being anything that anybody's ever going to see again. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's, a, it's hard to know. I mean, just, you just can't know what's going to last and what's not going to last. I mean, I can almost guarantee kind of like, you know, the, the big blockbuster movie that's coming out next week or whatever, like it is not the thing that's going to stand the test of time. Um, yeah. It just, that just sort of historically seems to be the case with the exception of like, uh, or I don't, I mean, I mean, there's a lot of blockbusters that have, but you know, it, the ratio of, of, of big studio films that, that succeed are over a long period of time are pretty small. Yeah, no, hundred percent. And I think you have this like interesting place now where you have the ultra low budget stuff and the cinephiles, um, and and then we it comes back to what we said about that like group of you know your two hundred fans that are just radical about what they're watching and they'll evangelize it, and it's these little niche things. But then you also on the flip side just have like Marvel after Marvel after Marvel, and you know there's nothing wrong with it. Like I'm not, we don't need any more filmmakers just saying Marvel is horrible. I think a lot about what Scorsese said about the stuff, and you know about Marvel theme park rides, and and, and, and you know. I'm not going to say it's the worst thing ever because I, I don't think it's that serious at the end of the day. But, you know, I do think there is a little bit of, uh, you know, we, we could lose something. And then I think it's interesting where, uh, you know, companies like A24 come in where they're doing this kind of like weird blockbuster art house middle ground thing yeah. where, you know, and, and that's, I think, important. I mean, I saw the um, the Green Knight the other day. I don't know if you've had a chance to see that I yet. I thought it was phenomenal. Um, you know, it, it, it was really interesting cause, uh, I didn't really keep up with the hype for it. Um, you know, I'm a fan of David Lowry's stuff, but that's kind of really all I knew going in and, and I watched it and it really felt like something that would have been made in like the seventies or something. Like, I think it was, it had like a $15 million budget. So it's like that type of movie that's, you know, wouldn't really get made as much nowadays. It's either going to be ultra low budget or crazy high budget. Um, and, and it was really, it was a good movie. I won't waste a lot of time talking about it, but, uh, I, I think that is an interesting place, uh, maybe for indie films to come back around through the carousel with like a 24 and that kind of, you know, indie middle ground blockbuster, but then you still have all the low budget stuff too, which I think, you know, there's tons of voices there that, you know, haven't even popped off. And so I think historically you're right. It's not going to be the, uh, the next Marvel thing that's going to define the 2021 year of cinema. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, I don't, I don't think Black Widow is the movie that's going to, you know, it's not, right. it's not this and King, you know? Right. Uh, <laughs> right. Yeah. And I, I, I have not seen Green Knight. I, 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 uh, I, lo I love David Lowry's movies. I think he's great. I, I thought the ghost story that he made was Amazing. Oh God, dude, <laughs> that's one of my favorite movies, but I don't know that I'll be in the mindset to rewatch it for a long time. <laughs> like, I, thought it was, I thought it was, I thought it was really brilliant. It was uh, really good. Yeah. And I'm a huge fan since I was a little kid. I've always loved the movie Excalibur. And yeah. So from what I understand, it's, it's, it's fairly similar and kind of, at least it's conceit, you know? Yeah. It, it's really interesting because the trailers kind of build it almost like a uh, Lord of the Rings-esque in a way. 
And I think that obviously that's not what it is. And if you go into it expecting battles and this, like, I don't actually think there's a single battle in the whole movie. Like there's swords and there's people who maybe slice and dice, but like, there's nothing like that in the whole movie. And so I think, I think it's really interesting. But then again, you think back to a 24 as a company, they want to get people into yeah. the seats. And oh, so they, they are geniuses at marketing yeah. that seem like they should not succeed. You know, like, uh, I mean, and, and they've made a lot of films I think are great. You know, but, but, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, a thousand percent um so kind of to land the plane uh where do you kind of see filmmaking going uh, you know I, obviously we talked about the democratization of it i think that's very fascinating uh do you see that as a good thing do you think it's gonna be harder to become a filmmaker as the years go on and there's so many voices or do you feel like it's actually maybe the best time to get started i mean i have no idea honestly i mean it's really i i, yeah. I think a lot of people sort of prognosticating about where the future of film is and i just feel like it's it's very uh hard to know i mean even mm -hmm. streaming has done to the movie business very much a, a lot of, it, it's it's very similar to what happened to the music business with like you know starting with like the mp3 thing and then napster i mean napster and then like all the now all the streaming stuff and uh youtube so it's, you know, there's there's more out there's there's more uh, outlets for your film. I mean, it's easier to get your film into the public now, I think, than before. Like if you had made a low budget movie in the '80s and you couldn't find a distributor, that would be it. You know, there's just like it's going to sit on a shelf and no one will ever see your movie unless you rent a movie theater and make people. Right. Go, but you know, uh, but. Um, yeah, so now there's a there's at least a chance, a more of a chance to kind of get your stuff seen. But that being said, like you said, I mean, you know, the tools are such that like, you know, there's so many people making films that it's uh, it uh, it's hard to stand out in the crowd. There's a lot of noise. Um, so you know, I do think that the one thing that that might do that will be positive for film is like people trying really hard to you know make something unusual that might kind of stand out you know where it's as you know earlier i think people you would make your weirdo films and then you kind of graduate into sort of making more and more mainstream stuff and uh and uh now i think that there's probably going to be a lot more room in the culture for strange stuff but then again maybe not maybe it's just all marvel and, and dc <laughs> I, I mean it's just yeah I, I, it's hard to say. Yeah. It's hard to say. I, yeah. I, I, I'm optimistic, but you know, it's like, you know. yeah. 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 I a hundred percent see what you're saying. And, and I think it will be interesting because I feel, you know, if, 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 you know, in a perfect world, you'd see people coming into film who've made, you know, one film and that's their breakout. But then you'd also see people who are, you're just learning about now, but then you go back and you're like, Oh wow, they've been making movies for 10 years. I didn't even, no. And, you know, that I think there's an interesting place for that as more people get the tools, because like you said at the beginning, it's all that stuff that you would start out doing. And, you know, you may not be the most proud of it, but it gets you to where you need to be to obviously get your work out and say something. Um, yeah. Well, I'll end with this final question. This is uh, kind of the theme for this podcast is, you know, how do you convince yourself to be creative? And, you know, obviously we just have gone through a crazy year with the pandemic and quarantine. And I think we've all had more time in our heads than we may have ever wanted. But 
um, you know, how, how do you kind of get yourself there at the end of the day? You know, I mean, it's a, it's a good question. I, I don't have a specific technique or anything. I'm not like a transcendental meditation guy. <laughs> yeah. like, you know, I, I just, you know, I, one thing I do is I, you know, I, I draw a lot. I, I, I've been trying to write a lot, you know, and then working on these other, I just, it, I'm, I try to always stay creative and, you know, maybe the thing you're writing or the thing you're drawing may seem a lot like the thing you wrote or drew yesterday, but you just got to kind of keep doing it. And I, and I, cause I think that there's these little increments of progress and all of this stuff. And sometimes then you stumble across that, that little diamond and you're like, Oh, this is the shit I'm going to run with this. Thing. Yeah. So I just, I guess I would just say, keep at it. Just, you know, don't, don't uh, stop trying to make things, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, I think it's a lot of uh, what folks say about running. It's like, when you start running, you're, you're, you don't love the running. You love how you feel after because you've done something. And I think that a lot of times, like, you know, obviously I, I do love the process of filmmaking and art, but sometimes it's when you finally take a step back and you look at it and you're like, oh, wow, okay, this is a whole thing. You don't get lost in the minutia of this shoot day or this lens didn't work out or the color grade wasn't perfect or ETC. Well, I also think just just to cap that is I had a teacher uh, when I was in college, a music teacher. And he, he told me that he thought that there were two kinds of artists in the world and is that ones who love the process, but don't give a shit about, you know, once it's done, it's done, you know, uh, uh, and which is, I think, kind of like the Kubrick way, you know, it's mm. just like he loved to make movies. I don't think he would revisit his films ever again. You know, uh, I know that you know, there are a number of filmmakers like that. And then there are the other people who kind of hate the process, but they love having the final work, you know? So the process is, is the process is the hard part, you yeah. know, it's like, you know, but they just want to have a complete thing that's done like a piece. Yeah. I think I'm definitely more of the former, you know, I'm a process guy. I love doing. Yeah. So. Yeah. Now that's actually a really good way to put it. Like, I think, I'd say I'm kind of a hybrid, but like I can love the process, but sometimes it can be overwhelming at the same time. It obviously just depends on what you're doing. Um, but I think that's a really good way to put it. And uh, yeah, I appreciate you sharing your creative outlet. And like, that's the whole point of this is just to keep everyone uh, who wants to make stuff, making stuff for as long as they want to make it. And like, I think that has been the thing I've taken from quarantine is just do things obviously that you want to do. Uh, if there's a distinct message you want to say and don't force things that you feel like are there for content. Cause we have plenty of content on the internet. So. I mean, like, like really, the thing is just, yeah. to, you know, yeah. so, you know, whatever your motivations, whatever, just, yeah. just, you know, make stuff and try yeah. to do the best job you can, you know? Perfect. So. Yeah, man. No, that sounds great. Um, Rich, thank you again for the time and chatting with us. Uh, where can folks keep up with you if they want to follow your work? Uh, we have a website for our production company, which is KNR Productions. Uh, that's KNR-Productions.com, I guess. Or they can, you know, I'm on all of the, you know, Instagram and Facebook and, uh, you know, Twitter and all that garbage. But, uh, cool. you know, mostly lately all I do is post drawings because I don't know. That's kind yeah. Of my- Nothing wrong with that. Cool. Well, everyone go check out his stuff. Uh, Thanks again for recording this episode of the podcast. We'll see y'all in the next one. Take care.